0: Amani. Um, I am missing my dear friend George this morning and my thoughts and prayers are with him. Um, it was 11 years ago at a Pastors of Oakland breakfast that I met him and I, re- and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to get to know him and his church and that began our journey. Uh, the first night that Maureen and I had George and Althea over for dinner, we discovered two things. That uh, One, that on July 7th Uh, the two of us were born the same day, he in Guyana and me in Phoenix, Arizona, and that we both were absolutely in love with Bob Marley. So those were two things that uh, really cemented our relationship there as well, and it's grown over the years, and I'm so delighted to be able to, to be here this day. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be reading our text from Matthew 14, beginning in verse 25 this is a a scene a story that uh if they were making a movie of the new testament you know this would be in there they would not cut this out this would be a really good one they would keep it in there for sure so matthew 14 beginning in verse number 25 and early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea he being jesus but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart it is I, Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. I didn't know a couple of weeks ago when I chose this passage to read that this would be wind weekend and uh, that the the strong winds that they talk about in this story, we would be experiencing ourselves uh, this day. And so it's good to know that uh, we have a Lord who is in charge of the winds and uh, can help people uh, even when they start to sink. So we're going to talk a little bit about that you know the bible is full of people who were encouraged to go on a walk abraham in the old testament and sarah were asked to leave their homeland to walk hundreds of miles and to start a new nation and they did it moses was invited to take a walk right through the middle of the red sea and into the desert where they wandered around for 40 years Joshua was invited to walk around the walls of Jericho and watch those walls fall down. The disciples were invited to walk to Emmaus, and they didn't even recognize who they were walking with at first until Jesus cooked them breakfast. Paul took a walk to Damascus to kill Christians and ended up becoming one. Jesus walked from a courtroom floor to a place of crucifixion, called Via Rosa, The Way of Great Sorrow. The Bible is filled with people who were encouraged to take a walk. And so the best one of all is the one we just read. Peter was invited to get out of the boat and to walk on the water. So with every walking story, there are three, several parts. The first is there's always a call, There's always fear involved. There is always reassurance. There is some decision that is made. And there is always a changed life. No matter which decision is made, which way, either way, it always changes your life. There are some people here today where some aspect of your personal life, you're being invited to walk on the water. There are ways in which we as churches are being invited to walk on water. I'm grateful to John Ortberg, who wrote a book, who gave me the theme here. And the book is titled, If You Want to Walk on Water, you Got to Get Out of the Boat. (laughs) If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. It's in our extreme circumstances in life that God often comes and we experience God's power. It's, It's during often the crises of our life that, we, that all of a sudden, God becomes real to us. I can't tell you how many times over the years that somebody has t- said to me, Bill, I mean, I always believed in God, but it wasn't until I got that diagnosis of cancer that I really felt God's presence in my life. Or I've had people say, it was the year of the divorce that God became more than an idea to me. Or the year that I lost my job and was, was so depressed that somehow I felt God holding me up. Or the year my kids went off on the wrong track. It's, it's in those times of difficulty and crisis that we often feel God the most. Which brings up an interesting question. What if God is there all the time just like that, but most of the time we don't recognize it because things are just going too good? He's there, available, for us to have that close connection. But the only time we sort of reach out for that connection is when our life begins to fall apart. God doesn't send those crises into our lives. I don't believe God gives cancer, any of those negative things. That's not the work of God. But when they do happen, God says, scoot over. Let's go through this together. We're going to go through this together in our lives. That's what it means to us. And then there's the command and the realization that the thing that keeps us in the boat is fear. (laughs) Fear is what keeps us in the boat. God knows that we human beings have a little problem with this. Because the most common phrase in the Bible is fear not. 365 times We are commanded in the Bible to stop fearing. It doesn't get you anywhere. God doesn't know what to do with our fear because it paralyzes us and keeps us from moving forward. So what boat do you stay in? What's your boat that you're staying in? David's boat was his vocation. He was a pharmaceutical salesman. He hated it, but it paid well he'd always wanted to go into the ministry but he was 53 years old and something some voice said to him it's too late you can't take a chance and do that now kathy's boat was relationships she'd been going with the same guy for five years and there was no commitment at all he was ambivalent about it her biological clock is ticking and all of her friends tell her, that boat ain't gonna sail. (laughs) But she refuses to bail out of the boat because she's afraid. She's afraid. Doug's boat is addiction. Somehow, over the course of the years, he got addicted to opiates. And he knows that the only way that he can move forward is to go to rehab. But he always thinks of a reason, an excuse, to not make that step, to not get out of the boat of addiction, and to move somewhere else. Maybe your boat is success. You've just done too well where you are, and even though you don't like what you're doing, you know, you're doing well. Remember the story of the the rich young ruler? We don't even know his name. We don't have his name. All we know is that he was a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus one day and he says, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, start by selling everything you have, giving the money to the poor, and coming and following me. He said, do you have any other ideas? Any, any other things? Uh, he decided not to do that because he, he had a very nice boat. You could call it a yacht. And it was just too good to give up. I wonder sometimes when I think about him, years later when he's an old guy, he's got all his money and his riches and stuff like that, I wonder if he ever thought back to that day that Jesus Christ invited him to leave everything and to begin an adventure and to follow him. I wonder if he ever regretted saying no to Jesus and his invitation. I've talked to a lot of senior citizens and the one thing I've heard them say often is that it's not so much mistakes that they have made that they regret. It's the things they didn't do. It's the chances that they didn't take, the adventures that they didn't explore. It's the things that they didn't do more than the things that they did that were not good. And so that's our problem, because fear keeps us in the familiar boat. Fear keeps us in this so that we don't get out. We would rather live with our pain and problems than risk doing something else. I remember when I was in seminary, they had these films uh, showing people doing counseling, and they had you know Rogers, Carl Rogers, and different people. There was one guy named Fritz Perls who was an existentialist therapist, and he's doing therapy with this woman. It's behind glass; she, you know, they're filming it and everything. And every time he starts to hone in on a problem. She evades it. And at the end of the thing, when they're asking him, he said, you can see how closely she holds her pain because it's become familiar and comfortable. Sometimes we hold to those things even though we know they're not good for us. So what is your boat? What is the area of your life where maybe God is calling you to do something, but you're just staying with that which is familiar? If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat a woman named eileen gooder wrote cynically of the other option which is the conservative option in life the conservative lifestyle option the opposite of the risky thing she said you can live on bland food to avoid an ulcer drink no tea coffee or other stimulants in the name of health you can go to bed early stay away from nightlife avoid all controversial subjects, so as to never give offense, mind your own business, avoid involvement in other people's problems, spend money only on necessities, <clears throat> save all you can, and you can still break your neck in the bathtub. <laughs> and it'll serve you right. <laughs> Larry Lauden has an interesting job. He is a risk consultant. He wrote a book, 19 Principles. <clears throat> To reduce risk in your life uh, the first principle is that everything is risky everything is risky I'm really glad that we don't have a risk consultant at Piedmont Church because every spring we send 200 high school kids 14 to 18 to Mexico to build houses some of the you guys kids have been there too we send these 14 to 18 year olds and we give them sharp saws and hammers and set them loose for four days and i'm sure that the first thing that a risk consultant would say to us is you got to cancel that trip <laughs> you can't be doing that water walkers never really fail they just sort of get a chance to try again when i was a kid uh I remember seeing those of you that are my age, 60s, you know, old or whatever, do you remember when you saw as a kid somebody in an iron lung? Remember the iron lung thing, the the metal tube? I remember Life magazine had a photograph of this kid. He was like nine or 10 and he was in an iron lung and all you could see was his head sticking out. And I said to my mom, I said, "Uh, why is he in that thing? She said, well, that's the only way that he can breathe. It's it's moving his lungs for you. And I said, well, how long does he have to stay there? And she said, forever. All day, I said. All All day and forever. Now, I was was the first generation to not have to worry about having polio. A guy named Jonas Salk came along, and he tried 200 different vaccinations for polio before he found the one that worked. And it freed up generations of people here from now to not have to worry about getting polio, at least here in America. And somebody asked him, how did it feel to fail 200 times in your search for the polio vaccine? He said, I didn't fail 200 times. I just discovered 200 ways how not to vaccinate for polio. Winston Churchill was asked, what prepared you to be strong to confront the Nazis in World War II. He said, I think it was because I had to repeat a grade in elementary school. They said, you failed in elementary school? He said, I didn't fail. They just gave me a second opportunity to do third grade. Did Peter fail that night when he got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and then started to sink? I don't think so. I think the failure was the other 11 that stayed in the boat, who were shouting when he started to climb over the edge, Peter, we knew you were crazy, but we had no idea that you are this crazy. Those are the ones, perhaps, who failed that night. Water walkers accept fear as the price of growth. You know, the problem with fear is it never goes away permanently. It always comes back every time you take a new step every time you you try something different every time you you start to grow then the fear is going to come back and you have to deal with it again so over and over maybe that's why we have 365 times that says fear not because we have to keep hearing those words over and over and over fear will never go away as long as i continue to grow Never. And so that's why we can give up being afraid of being afraid. We can give up being afraid of being afraid. It's okay. It's part of growth, you know. The problem is to follow Jesus, we have to resist comfort as the ultimate value in our lives. That's going to be hard because we live in a pretty comfortable place. You know what's the best-selling chair in America? It's called the lazy boy. The lazy boy recliner. Yeah. Not the risky boy. (laughs) Not the worker boy. No, no. The lazy boy. We want comfort above all. We've developed a whole language about this, John Orbert points out. We say, um, you know, I'm just going to go home and veg out. What does that mean? I'm going to I'm going to make myself as much like a vegetable as humanly possible, preferably in front of a TV, on a couch. Then I can become a specific kind of vegetable, a couch potato. The disciples in the boat, you could just call them boat potatoes. They wanted to watch. They didn't want to do anything. Millions of people in churches be called, could be called pew potatoes. I know you don't have any here, but we have some. Um, they want the comfort associated with spirituality, but they don't want the risk and challenge of going along with what Jesus says and doing what Jesus said to do. So, what do I wish for Imani and for Piedmont? That we take a hike, that we take that walk. There's always a call, there's always fear in taking the first step. There's always reassurance, there's always a decision, and there is always a changed life. May we pray the prayer that Blaise Pascal taught when he said, uh, it would be one thing, he said, God help us to do great things as though they were little since we do them with your power. God help us to do little things as though they were great since we do them in your name. Jesus is still looking for people to get out of the boat. Mm -hmm. Why risk it? Because it's the only way to really grow. Because it is the alternative to boredom and stagnation, which causes people to wither up. Because it's part of discovering and obeying your calling. There's a lot of good reasons to get out of the boat. But there's one that stands tallest. And that is because that's where Jesus is. Peter got out of the boat because he wanted to be closer to Jesus. And if you want to be closer to Jesus, you've got to get out too. Amen.